This is a podcast that contains spoilers, sensitive material, and acts of villainy. Listener discretion is advised. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Oh, right. For Christ's sake, why? Hey! Why? Why? Because we fucking can! Commit evil to destroy the greater evil. We make the terror. <laughs> this is the World Domination Committee, a monthly podcast where we discuss villains from media and history. What makes a good villain and what makes a bad villain better? I'm Exala, your host, and I've been marinating human flesh in the fridge and will offer it to you for supper. And my name is Trinzala, your other host, and I'm the crime novelist that has just written your ending. Strangely, your ending is towards a cannibal. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, we're doing this podcast to uh, really cover villains. Because villains just don't get enough love. Am I right? We- Depends. If you're in the queer community, you might like <laughs> the villains more because they're often <laughs> queer-coded. Uh, I think one of the things, too, is that a lot of pop culture focuses on, oh, the hero's journey, why a hero is so great and cool. But even though villains are often very evil people or mistakenly portrayed as evil people, they don't have that typical, like, there are villain archetypes, but nobody really dives into the history of them. What makes a villain a villain? What, like, what alignments they are? I think the only time it's ever been done in uh, recent memory is the Joker movie. And that movie was super cringe. The, like, 2018 Joker? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess, yeah, they did go into his villain's journey. Right. But so. small case. We just don't love our villains enough, I don't think. <laughs> so... Let's get into it. Let's make a villain arc. What do you want to uh, cover today for our first ever episode? Yeah, uh, our first ever episode, we are diving into a TV series called Hell is Other People. Or as when we initially watched it, we thought it was called Strangers from Hell. It's alternate title. Uh, it's a 2019 Korean television series based on the webcomic of the same name by Young Ki Kim. So Hell is Other People follows 26-year-old Jong-woo, who interns at this office in Seoul and is an aspiring crime fiction writer. He navigates a shady living situation as a result of his poor-paying internship and some unfortunate circumstances. And spoiler alert, he descends into madness as a result of everything going on. All over the period of just a week and a half, too. And also, though, this is based off of a webtoon. Um, a Korean webtoon that just uh, had its England, uh, English translation come out this year, which is pretty exciting. I was super hyped. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I keep forgetting the artist or the author's name. Young Ki Kim. Uh, all right. Make sure to definitely support them. It's an awesome story. You can read it on the app webtoon. Mm-hmm. So this series kind of starts out a little insidious. Because it doesn't really present itself as that horrifying, just kind of like a, feels like a day in the life of uh, our main protagonist. Yeah, it's a young man, got a new job, dealing with, you know, fun things like capitalism and moving and being an almost unpaid intern, which uh, from personal experience, that's not very fun. Um, Yeah, (laughs) no. (laughs) But then... 
Go on, go on. But as the show progresses, you start to feel more and more of that thrilling atmosphere that feels like you're watching a horror movie. And that's really set up by Eden Residence, where Zhang moves into. It's this tiny little, like, it's this tiny apartment complex. Where In the rooms, redevelopment district of Seoul. Yeah, where the rooms are, like, the size of a closet, essentially. You have a bed, you have a desk. You share a bathroom and a kitchen. And as the show progresses on it starts to feel a lot like a haunted house it holds a bunch of horrifying things like not only in terms of it's decrepit it's in a redevelopment district nobody can find it on a map as we see throughout the show but all of the neighbors are shady and murderous and they create the well not all the neighbors the majority of the neighbors (laughs) they create a hell that Zhang Wu lives in even the non-murderous neighbors they give him unsettling vibes. They foreshadow what is to come. So everything serves as kind of an omen for Zhang Yu. Uh, yeah. And so I would say that the best example of that is we're given this depiction of uh, kind of like this gangster figure that's supposed to be like scary in most dramas. Like someone that would be uh, like your uh, Thomas Shelby's or your Gambino's. Like these type of characters. So we're thinking, okay, this must be one of the people. But no, no, the gangster is afraid of the other people that live in the apartment. Which, let's introduce our uh, listeners to uh, who all the characters are uh, in this resident apartment building. And then we can maybe move on to uh, some of the other characters that uh, at Jonggu's internship. So how about let's start with uh, Miss Oom. All right, so the people that Zhang Wu lives with, the majority of them we have lovingly named the crime family. And we're going to start off with the matriarch that I have lovingly inspired my introduction of myself from, Miss Oom. She is this very passive-aggressive and petty lady that uh, marinates human flesh and feeds it to the house guests. She is the landlord of Eden Residence, and because of her passive-aggressive nature, Zhang Wu kind of doesn't deem her like as much of a... Her. Yeah, yeah, he's like, okay, old lady, but then eventually finds out, okay, you are pretty fucking terrifying. The second biggest villain in the entire show, I would say. Yeah. Like, she seems like a nice, sweet, innocent, like, auntie or, like, uh, <laughs> babushka or... Just or my mom. mom. Oh, oh, <laughs> shade. <laughs> but it's very dangerous and someone to watch out for. But I would say who's not as guile as that is the twins. So there's these two twins, and <laughs> <laughs> that's horrifying. I still do that to uh, X whenever we're hanging out together, and they still get creeped out from time to time. She's going, <laughs> um, But it's one who is not in their right mind, and the other twin is in their right mind, but usually takes care of uh, their brother. They're very codependent in nature, though. Yes, yes. And I think uh, that codependency uh, comes from trying to uh, keep each other in line. Uh, yeah. Especially because uh, one of the, the one who is not as mentally well is uh, maybe either pushed or just very interested in hurting small animals. Yeah. Throughout the beginning of the show, it's established that there have been uh, cat killing sprees in um, the district that Eden Residence is in. And we eventually find out that the <laughs> the laughing twin is the one who's been killing the cats. Right. And they might not be the most 
mentally applicable, but they give this like element of randomness and uh, fear of how like one can kind of be trapped into like this weird thinking pattern and not be able to escape. Yeah, if you don't have enough guile, they're part of the crime family. They're part of committing a series of mass murders, but they feel roped into it and that they don't have the wherewithal necessarily to escape. Even though they work together very often, they can't work together enough to get out of their situation. Now let's talk about someone who really can't leave. <laughs> this guy we have named Porno Pervert. Yeah. Uh, this Or hentai guy. Yeah, he is another member of the crime family that I think was roped in later because we don't see him in the photograph that reveals the crime family. Uh, but right, anyway, right. he is a part of the shenanigans. He assists in all of these murders that happen. He's this very gross man that wears a wife beater shirt and leaves his door open watching porn all day. His wall is covered in porno pictures, and he also has an ankle bracelet, which means we can kind of assume he has done something most likely heinous. Throughout the show... Probably, uh... A sex crime. Yeah, probably. We've seen him throughout the show in the limited time he's allowed off of the property of Eden residence that he sets up traps for women, essentially like rubbing blue dye on their pantyhose so they'll throw it away, and then he takes that home to sniff. So his antics are not only aiding in murder and torturing people, but also finding ways to... Like not psychologically torture and try to dominate, but like in the weirdest ways. Yeah. And also he has an obsession with... Uh, killing in a way well, i mean they all do but every time jong encounters our porno pervert porno pervert stands in front of him with a knife behind his back going i'll kill you i'll kill you eventually getting jong to go i'll kill you too right right and you can tell this guy's just disgusting because he's super it, gross he's even grosser in the comic to be fair just the way that he's drawn oh my gosh you know it's one thing to watch porn all day it's unproductive but you you do you uh, there's no kink shaming in this podcast <laughs> but you can tell this guy just doesn't bathe and that's what i'm uh i get sick from because uh he'll take like a screwdriver and itch his uh ankle monitor and you can tell that it's just like rotting with bubbles under there and it's just so itchy and he just doesn't want to shower so it gets even grosser <laughs> but all of these people are not nearly as scary as one person that we come into seeing and that is what he, he doesn't really have a name i mean he does but it's mentioned like once or twice it's not super important but it's super scary uh and we just call him the apprentice and which is kind of a spoiler in itself but he's one of the first people that jong actually interacts with when he moves into the apartment and he gives off big unsettling vibes right so uh, the gangster gets mad uh, at the twins because uh, they've probably done something stupid or uh, Miss has gone into uh, their room or something. And so the gangster gets mad and is uh, interrogating uh, the uh, one of the twins that is not as mentally well. And he uh, gets interrupted by the apprentice. And then as soon as uh, he's interrupted by the apprentice... The gangster looks in fear for his entire life, and we have no idea why. And it is super creepy, and everyone's like, okay, finally, he's here. Now we can actually calm down. The Apprentice really gives this uh, simulation of control in terms of the crime family, because when he arrives, everybody kind of chills out. Uh, but we actually find up later on that he is just another pawn that's part of the crime family. 
Uh, as it's revealed later on, a detective comes looking for the gangster after he goes missing, and the apprentice kills him very impromptu. He uses a garrote in the back of a car and tries choking the man out. However, the true villain, and the guy, this guy is who we're covering for today's villain in the podcast, oh, yeah. discovers this um, messy murder apprentice has done and comes and kills both of them. So today's villain that we are covering is Munjo Seo. Seo! Seo! <laughs> Seo is the villain for today's podcast. He is the most horrifying out of the crime family, not only because he is the real puppet master, for lack of a better term, but he's also just really good with people. I mean, he's hot, he's a dentist, he gets along well with children, but he also likes to collect teeth and torture people. Oh yeah, super fun. And I, I think what's even more horrifying is the murder, definitely very horrifying. But he also, uh, he, as he likes to say, it, he likes to break things and rebuild them. And yeah. he does this mostly with people's psyches. Seo sees murder as an art form. We always saw, like, when we watched the show, we thought of him kind of as an engineer where you break something to make it again. Right, but because right. of murder and torture, he sees that as an artistic piece. He looks at himself like this nouveau creator. He has this whole set of rules on how a murder should be taken out or how someone should be psychologically manipulated. And he has this entire thing when he wants someone like an apprentice or unfortunately our main character he goes through a series of brainwashing tactics and gaslighting to make them in his image yeah and not only is it like gaslighting but it, it, it's almost like a, like a coquettish behavior uh, of where he will hurt you and then like absolutely like almost like love bomb you to make you come back and like try to protect you uh, I, I think one of the the better examples of this is uh he really encourages uh, the anger in uh, our main character, uh, Jean Gu, or the protagonist, the non-villain, the hero, I guess you could say, for now. Um, but he will kind of, like, breed this anger inside of uh, Jean Gu. Jean Gu has a history of aggression issues. But when Seo sees that, he capitalizes off of it. He puts Jong-Gu in tense situations, even more so. Jong-Gu already has a hard time with his living situation and also being a very minimally paid intern who is not respected at all by his superiors. So Seo encourages those situations where Jong-Gu feels at his lowest or at least kind of like shit and it encourages him to get violent in those, eventually escalating to the point where he actually does more and more violent things and then whenever Zhang Gu gets in trouble for it and uh blames uh uh Seo uh for it then uh Seo is also just right there to help basically bail his house like out of whatever situation so shortly after Zhang Gu has moved into Eden residences he is hanging out on the roof and meets our villain today, Seo. Seo is very uncanny and obsessive upon their first meeting and on viewing. For me, there was a lot of homoerotic subtext. Oh yeah. They they first start talking about Zhongu's book, mildly so, and Seo is making extreme eye contact and smiling too much. We hear him be interrogated by- You're one of my kind. Yeah, uh, which we learn is actually just referring to being a killer 
But also, Seo just has a liking for Zhongyu. He sees this malice within him. He encourages that first off by asking Zhongyu about his novel and gauging where Zhongyu feels in terms of crime. Zhongyu is writing a crime novel, and it basically parallels a lot of the elements that happen within the series. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. And also, it starts off this behavior of coquettishness that uh, becomes uh, more and more personal to uh, Seo as we learn more about it. Um, at first, it just starts talking about the novel and being very kind, but we see that all of the bad experiences that Zhanggu has within inside of the residences have been planned by Seo, and every single time Zhanggu's in a bad situation, Seo is right there to help until it becomes more and more personal over time. Yeah, Seo usually sets up the situation. Zhongyu gets kind of paranoid about it and thinks, oh, is it him? No, he's too nice. Oh, maybe I'm just crazy. Uh, he gets gaslighted to a point where he thinks he is losing it, but it's all part of the manipulation. Oh, yeah, and it, and it feels like a, a, like a, during this kind of phase, like a joint plan between Miss Oom and uh, Seo. Yeah, they want something from Zhongyu. Most of the other residents, the twins and porno pervert, just want to kill him because they relish in that. But Misume and Seo are a lot more plotted. They see a potential for somebody, uh, Seo especially. After killing Apprentice, he sees that Zhongyu is his next victim, not in terms of murder, but in terms of, I'm going to make you just like me. Right. Um... And so it, it's, it's almost that weird engineering of a psyche that's really hard. Uh, to describe, but it's so horrifying. Almost like a cult leader, like being like brainwashed. I think that's one of Seo's main fear points, at least for me, is he is so charismatic and so well put together as compared to the rest of the residents, but he has so many of those tactics of, okay, I'm going to make you feel warm, I'll make you feel safe, I will drug you, I will change your mindset. I mean, we see throughout the show that Zhangu is sleep-deprived, he's not eating, he is overworked by his shitty internship. Those are all- Even crazier, he gets drugged most of the time when he's at the residence from Ms. Um's tea. Which is part of the whole thing. So those, like, contributing factors are usually what makes up a cult. And one could say the crime family is a form of cult, especially if you think all of the members are apprentices in some way that are just evolving differently. Right, right, right. So we get into this kind of middle situation of where uh, us as viewers kind of know how uh, messed up everything is, but Zhanggu is still in his paranoid state of questioning. He's also in a situation where he feels like he can't escape it either way. I mean, he's not making money, he's moved to a new place and is just trying to make it in life, but he can't afford anything else. This is his situation. And he can't turn to the gangster anymore because the, the gangster gangster's is gone. gone. He's missing. Fortunately, though, Zhanggu eventually meets a new friend who kind of makes the residents feel a bit like a home for once, uh, who is a rapper named Sokyun, um, but at the same time... Super cool guy. Yeah, he's very positive, has a lust for life, and enjoys making music that's actually pretty good in the street. So when he and Jong-woo meet, they become fast friends. They're the same age range, and Seokyun actually feels like a normal person compared to the crime family. So Jong-woo really kind of latches onto him. Um, however, eventually, 
Zhang Yu hits a breaking point of the living situation where he feels the need to move out. And part of the plot of the crime family is they torture his new friend and use him to take advantage of Zhang Yu's kindness, luring him back to the residence. And that's, I think it's mostly because of, uh, how do you pronounce the name? Seokyun. To be fair, we can't speak Korean, so I may be butchering this. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can call him rapper if you want. Um, so, like, I think the difference between, uh, Jeongu and the rapper is that, uh, Seo doesn't see anything inside the rapper because he's too wholesome. He's too much of a good guy. He doesn't like, have any malicious point that can be used as a leverage. Right. Whereas, uh, with Jeongu, he, uh, it feels like he has not only leverage, but he's also already focusing on this piece of work. And he, you don't want to split your attention. No, no. No, no. Once so, you're in, you're in. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's all or nothing, baby. And so th- I feel uh, with the rapper, he is a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more curious, and uh, is like, Jion, your paranoia is, you're, it's not real. Mingo prove it's not real. Yeah, he actually gives the other, the crime family the benefit of the doubt. He goes, oh, yeah, I had drinks with the twins. They're kind of weird, but they're fine. The rapper just has a very positive outlook. He even meets Sale and goes, yeah, I kind of got weird vibes from it, but he's not a bad guy. Why are you so paranoid, Zhang Yu? Which kind of contributes to Zhang Yu even more losing it and going, I need to move out. I really like this guy, but these people are just not cutting it for me. Right. And then, so, it's one day when the rapper goes too far, that's when he falls into the torture. And then uh, Seo uses it to bring Jonggu back, because Jonggu doesn't want this this guy who just moved in here to suffer. You know, he doesn't want him something bad happen to him. Which is exactly what happens. He goes to investigate what happened on the fourth floor, gets kidnapped, and uses bait to bring Jonggu back to the residence. Well, we also have to talk about why... Um, it's in this situation is because uh, Seo is using leverage from Jonggu's uh, girlfriend as well. So after the rapper, um, the, it's really interesting because during that situation, uh, he actually left his girlfriend at a very uh, dramatic time in their relationship because they had a very rocky relationship. Not only, uh, but m- mostly because there is a really like tough work culture in Korea, and they always seem to be missing each other they basically have different timelines like he moved to this new city to be closer to his girlfriend but they are both underpaid workers him more so than her but they are working late hours and they never really seem to hit the same schedule so they're like oh we're supposed to go for dinner and somebody has something come up like work or a creepy murder happening in your apartment building (laughs) but interestingly enough jonggu has all this work but his boss always seems to be going out for uh, lunches, even meeting up with uh, Jean-Gu's girlfriend during a lunch. Yeah, Jian. He meets her. She's getting coffee for her comrades, and they talk. And nothing, nothing goes on. No, but you can see that Jean-Gu's boss is kind of jonesing for Jian, his girlfriend. Yes, and it starts to get a little bit weird. I mean, they all went to college together. Uh, Zhongyu's boss is kind of using his status as being a CEO as leverage against Zhongyu, even though they were all in the same place. 
but also using that against Jeon Jung's girlfriend too of like oh yeah I was your superior kind of a different manipulation no murder involved no string pulling and insurance fraud but just kind of that psychological manipulation you don't want within a friend group or an interaction right and then uh, his actual direct supervisor in his job is a he's piece like of shit pervert, baby but man not quite all the way to pervert He's a piece of shit baby man. He, he's a piece of shit baby man. That That is the best way to describe it. But him. yeah, he is very uh, he, sexually motivated in terms of the other coworker, the lady in the office. And the other lady in the office kind of likes him. I would say a little bit. I think, I don't think she likes him. I think she likes Jong-un more than him. No, I'm thinking Jong-un. Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah the yeah, other yeah. lady in the office thinks Jong-un is cute. He's new. He's a fresh face. And then the guy who is... Not as extreme as porno pervert. Uh, we'll call him Helmet Man because yeah, he's man. referred to as the Helmet Head. Um, he is obsessed with this woman, the only woman in the workplace. She doesn't give him a second blink. So he kind of uses that against Zhang Yu because his affections are unrequited, whereas Zhang Yu is fresh. He's getting all the love from the only lady. And so Seo sees this and goes, don't you want to hurt him? Don't you want to kill him for uh, abusing his authority against you? And there are, we know this because there are a couple of encounters where Seo actually dis- meets up with Shang Yu and his coworkers. And let's Thanks talk about Seo real fast. Very sorry, sorry. I had to interrupt because Seo has a really bad habit of um, getting into people's privacy. A bad or a good habit? Because I feel like that's a good factor for being a villain. Oh, for a villain, it's <laughs> excellent. He he knows everything Zhang Yu's thinking about because it's implied that he goes onto his computer and searches through his computer. Um, There's say, also a hole in jong bedroom that Seo spies through. Exactly, exactly. And then from time to time, maybe, I guess, when there's Dennis Free Days, who knows when there's uh, Dennis Free Days? Sorry, I had a spoonerism. Um, <laughs> uh, that uh, he follows jong it seems like. Oh, you mean in his does. days off? Yeah. Dentist yeah. Free Days are days off. I mean, yeah. That's what I, that's what I mean. I don't know. Hairstylists get off Mondays, but they don't get off Saturdays. Yeah, but you don't call it hairstylist free day. I, if I was referring to a okay, maybe I would. Maybe I would. How, how, what did you think about that? Today's huh? an engineering free day, everyone. There's never an engineering free day. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> the real villain is capitalism, everyone. <laughs> no, it's A.O. in this one. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> So he encourages this, and because Zhanggu feels like everyone's against him, because Seo is perfectly manufactured to where it feels like everyone's just against him, that he just takes a keyboard and beats Helmet Guy over the head with it. And throughout the show before, he has fantasized about doing things like throwing coffee cups and breaking a coffee machine, not actually breaking a throwing coffee cups, breaking beer bottles in front of the boss, and assaulting people but this is the only point where Zhang Yu actually assaults someone and we can see how much within this this all takes place within a week and like a half or two weeks the escalation of this show is insane it, it, it's insane so Seo's so good at his job that he is getting a guy to assault basically is the the guy right above him in the work hierarchy i mean if you think about it making a piece of art in a week that's it's pretty fast that is super fast 
I mean, I guess he was already drawing elements out of it. He had his sketches laid out, and he's like, now we just got to paint. But for Zhang Yu, as the subject, it's an absurd amount of time, and the escalation feels inhuman almost because he's devolving. And then everyone, I think everyone at this point is kind of like, you're sick, Zhang Yu, go home. And Zhang Yu's like, I don't want to go home. Whenever he brings it up to somebody, his girlfriend, Jiyun, his superior, even his mom, he tells people about what's going on at the residence, what's going on at work, and they disregard him. They go, oh, you're just being a pussy. You're being a baby. You need to just deal with it. It's not forever. And when you're in a shitty situation, it feels like forever. And no matter what platitudes people give you, even if you're trying to work your way out of it, it feels almost impossible. Quick side tangent. We live in an apartment where shit was raining down from the ceiling for two months. <laughs> and that felt part? like a yeah. fucking eternity. <laughs> yeah. And then trying to move out was also a nightmare too. Yes. So I don't blame jong Wu for feeling at his lowest and feeling lost and feeling not listened to. And that's something that Seo manipulates, which is what makes him more horrifying. He takes that lowest point that you're at and uses it to craft. He, I guess he is the perfect form of a groomer. Yep, exactly. He, he is grooming Zhang Yu to Not become Not for sexual purposes, killer. but yeah. the perfect way of... I think if one interprets, it could be read a little bit like that, like super deep, just in terms of, like as I was saying earlier, the like, homoerotic subtext. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the show, it is explicitly grooming someone to become a serial killer, which also does happen too. Right, right. Well, I don't know how much that happens in real life, but... I, yeah, I, usually, isn't it 98% of serial killers are sexually motivated and like yeah. 2% are not? Yeah. Amidst all of the work chaos, which has led jong to hit his breaking point, his girlfriend gets kidnapped by Seo. Obviously, yeah, Philan's going to kidnap the girlfriend. This is the final manipulation tactic. However, this is kind of in tandem with a bunch of tension happening within the crime family as well as they are all under investigation by the police. Not only have they killed the gangster, they've killed a detective, they have also kidnapped the main cop that has been investigating the cat murders as well as the crime family themselves. I would say on top of that, there's also this fear of, uh, there's always that term, there's no honor amongst thieves. I, I would say there's probably sometimes honor amongst thieves, but there's almost no honor amongst killers. Yeah, they are all part of a fucked up family but they're all against each other at the same time they're all both afraid and also magnetized toward each other yeah i mean i think that comes from a lot of how miss um brought most of them up together from childhood but because they're all so deranged they you know it's that paranoia it's that duplicity they're always working together against a main person but when there is not a main person they're against each other and so amidst uh, the chaos of the crime family dealing with all of the cop stuff zhang yu ends up going back amidst that chaos dealing with his trauma living in that place to rescue his girlfriend from seo so in efforts to rescue jian zhang yu goes and faces off against seo right right and He's trying to encourage him, and he's he's doing the, this like you know old really comic villainy way of like trying to get Zhang uh, Gu to do something. He's all like, "Save your girlfriend or kill me. Which one will you do, Zhang Gu?" And we see Jion, the girlfriend, passed out on the table, and Zhang Yu has another point of manipulation where he goes, "Oh, she might already be dead." 
So what do I right. have to do at this point? Right. And then uh, uh, was all like, okay, well, wouldn't you want to kill me anyway? Because uh, I, I, what if she is dead and I killed her? Then None of these are actually verbally exchanged, but it's that mental cat and mouse that goes on. Right, right. And that's kind of Seo's endgame, is he wants to be uh, killed. Well, not necessarily he doesn't want to die, but he wants to be killed because he knows that his art is complete. I also would think of it kind of like a virus being transmitted. Yes, a meme, but it, it's a mental virus. But, like, in the not funny way. And it's it's pretty interesting because we have our entire crime family. And you would think that, like, you know, maybe Zhang is pressured by them. But right before Zhang shows up, Seo has killed the rest of the crime family. So we were like, Wow. It's surprising because you think he would have utilized them to the end and figured something out, as they have done throughout time. But this is a special circumstance where he is so infatuated with Zhang Yu as a new apprentice, and the crime family no longer meets his sales needs as a killer, that he kills all of them. And so, during this entire time, the police kind of catch on to this entire thing. And they come and rescue uh, Jean-Gu and uh, Jiyun. As well as the cop who was kidnapped in the basement. And we didn't talk about the cop that much, but the cop was pretty important to the story, but not in anything tied to like, villainy. Yeah. She was uh, important in terms of Jean-Gu. She was, a bunch, she was an exit that he could not take because in reality, there is no exit. I mean, really, she's the hero in the show. Yeah. She's not, she doesn't even exist inside the webtoon, but... She does, but briefly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, as we are watching, uh, Jean-Gu right inside of a book in the hospital, after he's gone through this entire situation, why not, we find out it wasn't Seo who killed all the, the entire family. It was Jean-Gu. It was Jean-Gu. He, he had been so manipulated and gaslighted and brainwashed by Seo, he fulfilled exactly what Seo had planned. Seo wanted the entire crime family to be murdered. He wanted to live in a way, but also die to shape Zhang Yu. And Zhang Yu ended up killing everyone, fulfilling Seo's wish. And then we know that for sure because at the very end, uh, Zhang Yu has trophies in the style of Seo's trophies, yeah. which are teeth. He wears a bracelet dentist. of teeth. We have yeah. seen it with every killing. Seo takes a tooth from a victim, and at the very end of the show, we see that Zhang Gu is wearing the tooth bracelet. Right. So that, that ends the synopsis of uh, Hell is Other People or Strangers from Hell. Do you want to talk a little bit about why Seo is as messed up as he is? Do you want to go through like the whole villain's journey and villain's arc or their philosophy? Uh, I don't know. Let's start with philosophy, and then maybe we can go into. No, let's go through the villains arc, I guess, a little bit. Let's uh, let's let's dive a little bit more into Sayo because we t we did a little bit of, from multiple perspectives, but not yeah as much from like that certain perspective. Yeah. So let's. We're gonna... how, how did Sayo grow up? Like, what made Sayo a villain? 
So typically in terms of storytelling, the hero's arc follows a threshold where the hero is invited to a journey, they meet a mentor, they are tempted by something, they have a revelation and a rebirth, they transform, and then they find resolution. This is a TLDR version, obviously. You can find pictures of the hero's journey on the web. But we have retrofitted that in terms of our podcast to make the villain's arc, which is basically turning those elements on their head. When we're talking about Sayel, I think although we don't see what his origins are, they are explained through a photograph. He is an orphan who was raised by the headmistress, Miss Um, as Which well we as the twins. Which we find out is a foster. Oh yeah, with the twins, yes. Yeah, so Miss Um has an orphanage, which uh, Jean... Uh, Miss Um has an orphanage, which Seo's dental practice is named after. So he was raised by her as well as the twins. And we find out that she takes him in, essentially, after the orphanage mysteriously burns down. Which we come to learn is part of a arson fraud. Yeah. Miss Um, as a mentor, has been doing crime. She teaches Seo and the twins as children oh, I can burn a place down as long as I have insurance or I can kill my husband as long as there's life insurance. Yeah, because she's had, can... like, what, four husbands in the past? I think it was two, but yeah. She gets off scot-free every time there is a fire or a death in the family. Nobody looks at her because she's this sweet old lady. I mean, her MO is poison. Yeah, and we see that as she drugs people, too. Right. So throughout Sayo's life, at an early age, he has been... Uh, shaped by the environment of crime set up by Mizum. Especially maybe when they're hungry or something, cannibalism is a very big part of the crime family. I think that... Like, it always comes from Miss Um because she's like, this is cheap meat. In terms of that lore, this is more interpretive. We do see explicitly they find human meat as cheap meat, but one could think that they have been brought up in that sphere as well. Right, so it's like a good old home cooking. Good old home cooking human flesh. There's also an interesting moment during the show where Zhongu and Seo have a meal together and it is flesh. Uh, we know that, Zhongu does not, and he gets sick trying to eat it and Seo goes, oh, this part isn't for you. Basically saying, oh, this part of murdering, you are not into cannibalism. Right, right. But that might be because Seo has grown up in a cannibalistic family. But also, it could, he does it in a good way. He does a... a, a a very good way of doing um, double meetings when he's talking about something sometimes. Uh, so when he said, maybe this cut isn't for you. Maybe this part of murder isn't for you. Or maybe he's, maybe he's also saying, maybe uh, you it's don't a like a thigh. Maybe yeah. you like a bicep. Like, you know, which is kind of <laughs> creepy in both ways. The other, the other, other white meat. <laughs> well, right. I would think a bicep would be a dark meat, but... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know meat. I just know some is dry and some is not. Very true. Very true. Um, so he comes up in kind of this organization. He, he's grown like this. But what makes him different from Miss Um and... Uh, Seo specifically. Yeah, Seo specifically. What makes Seo different from the twins and Miss Um? And I think the answer is is that he is... Uh, maybe a little bit more intelligent and a little bit calmer. I think he also has a little bit more of a leadership role. Like, he's more put together, which is how he kind of becomes the puppet master. Uh, because he knows he has more control, 
I mean, we've seen throughout the show, he has his set of rules, whereas his underlings, so to speak, uh, porno pervert, as well as uh, the twins, are a lot more willy-nilly about who they want to kill. Seo has that control, and he uses that to his advantage, that he starts training them, uh, the, the members of the crime family, to become little fractals of him, essentially. And we can see that he has also engineered Psyche so much, and there's this one specific scene with the crime family. So maybe growing up, he learned it with the twins, but there's a uh, certain scene where uh, the apprentice is uh, having a disagreement with one of the twins, and he gets one of the twins to slap themselves into unconsciousness. And uh, Miss Oom comes in and goes, why are you being, why are you kids being too violent to each other? Kind of like little brothers would just punch each other around. But it's so crazy to think that the apprentice did that to the twins. But whenever the twin was slapping themselves, like, to unconsciousness, they weren't thinking about the apprentice. They were definitely thinking about Seo's, Mm -hmm. like, growing up with Seo, which I think is crazy. I think it could be assumed, too, that they've all grown up in, well, obviously, mental abuse, but perhaps physical abuse as well. Right. Uh, The life of an orphan is not super fun, from what I've heard. I I, I didn't grow up as an orphan, but not super fun, (laughs) from what I've heard. (laughs) Especially if you grew up being raised by a mother who feeds you human flesh because it's cheaper and kills all her husbands. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Never have a father in a household because they keep uh, getting their life insurance taken out. Yep. So, (laughs) yep. In final form of the villain's journey as we're now dubbing it uh the last or the second to last bit would be transformation so obviously Seo's grown up in this crime family he's learned from his mentor he has had a revelation and rebirth upon his first kill uh but he transforms through training his underlings to be his little fractals of murder um but eventually finding Zhongu as his prime victim in form in terms of his trainee his jongu is the perfect one to become the next seo so seo transforms trying to i guess evacuate the mothership yeah it's like it's, it's perfecting <laughs> he knows that jongu is going to be his magnum opus so he needs to make his last piece of art perfect and it happens he meets jongu he manipulates him and jongu becomes the best piece of art yet quote unquote as Zhongu kills Seo, but has become a better version of Seo in the end. And our villain, that doesn't happen often in stories, basically gets everything they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, villains usually get the short end of the stick, but that's why the show is a tragedy. Our hero loses. Zhongu's... With Zhongu's uh, atonement, that's really our hero. And I kind of want to flip it on a uh, the head for a second and we talk about how SAO uh, SAO came to this point um, and I kind of want to talk about what a villain's journey is and kind of uh, our theory of it and uh, for me that would start with uh, trauma and it always starts with uh, trauma it seems like uh, for uh, SAO it's maybe not apparent but being an orphan feels pretty traumatic um especially if i don't know you don't know if someone gave you up if they died either way if someone died it's tragic if someone gave you up it's tragic 
Uh, I mean, from your own experience, your dad was adopted and he's still grappling with the fact of, oh, was I loved or was I not? And and I remember having a friend growing up who also felt that same way about uh, his mother. And it's just a wound that kind of like seeps throughout someone's entire life. Yeah, it's a different kind of trauma than like a horrifying experience happening to you. It's something that's a little bit more lived or not lived, like part of your lifetime. Even if you have not felt it, so to speak, it's something that you just carry. I, I feel like it creeps into your identity. Anyway, so trauma was the first step. And then I think the second step would probably be... The mentor, which is where we see Ms. Um come in, in terms of the villain's journey for Sayo. She is the one who is running the orphanage. She is the one who eventually takes him in and trains him. And and then there's temptations with, uh, you know, sometimes once you have that mentor, that mentor might have also had trauma in their past. They're already a villain, you know? Yeah, we've already seen Ms. Um committing fraud and killing her husband. But that kind of brings, as she is mentoring Sayo, it brings him into the crime life. He gets tempted of, oh, I can get some fast money by doing something heinous. This is fine. Right. And then then you have almost like a self-actualization from that point. Almost like a like a revelation, you could say. Where, like, I, I, I would think that uh, you kind of create your own identity from the things that you've uh correlated in the past yeah we don't know enough about why Sayo became an orphan but we can imagine because of his predilection for the art side of crime um how he sees it as an art form that there is probably something that drives that that kind of uh made him reborn after seeing what happened from his childhood and being raised by Mizum. he kind of reshapes himself based on his past experience and who brought him up and then i think it would probably after that be a, like a transformation and like a desire like something that needs to be completed or done kind of like an activity like, after you get the taste for something, you need to make it a ritual, so... Almost like Sayo, a craft, almost like... Yeah, Sayo has a taste for killing, he knows he has to kill again, but make it clean. Like, right. when I draw something, I know I'm gonna want to draw again. I draw pictures, I don't kill people, but... Right. You're <laughs> right. That. Well, I hope not, I hope not. <laughs> when I, you... I, when I've you... seen a, a few suspicious trash bags. Mm, it's just full of cat litter, I swear when you engineer i know that you want to engineer again but you could just be making government hacks uh, that's classified um he did get stopped at the embassy they checked his flash hey, drives. hey hey don't talk about this it's classified redacted <laughs> um so anyway <laughs> the villain <laughs> uh kind of art uh what is the end of a villain's arc like in this case it's success but most cases it is not yeah usually the villains get killed so is it just like a resolution like a kind of like a resolution to your life resolution for the hero conquering that journey i i guess so i I i think usually in terms of most popular media when the villain is vanquished it is the hero's orgasm, for lack of a better term. The hero that is That was the funniest way to put it. But, but nobody else is. At least if, if you root for the villain. <laughs> how, how creepy would it be for... Oh, I guess... 
that's what Nightcrawler makes me feel so uncomfortable because it feels like the villain's orgasm for the entire movie. We can talk about that later. The villain's the orgasm or the hero's orgasm? Well, both. It, that's when it becomes okay. so creepy. So, okay, uh, we'll add Nightcrawler to our list. For sure. It'd be something very interesting to talk about. But anyway, what, should we now dive in? Wait, now we've covered the the, the, the villain's journey. Do you, do you have any more to add to the villain's journey? Like, do you think after, like, the, does it just start over with more trauma? If I think it depends. In terms of Strangers from Hell, the villain's journey gets the resurrection uh, that a usual hero's journey. If you're making sequels and prequels and uh, trilogies and all that bullshit that Disney does, um, <laughs> usually the hero's journey gets a revamp and they go through the same thing again and they always are victorious. And in terms of Strangers from Hell, it's flipped on its head because we know that Zhang Yu has been shaped by Seo, and he's so he's going through the, it, he's going through the villain's journey himself. You know, that's a great thing to point out that uh, the monster that we see in Zhang Yu is just Seo's. I would argue, actually, there has been some kind of monster in Zhang Yu, but Seo's memes, like a virus, have activated that within Zhang Yu almost taking advantage of like this system yeah if you have dormant tuberculosis but you're exposed to something and it flares it up you're going to spread that to other people so kind of like if you had aids and then uh so you were you had uh like maybe dormant tuberculosis but then you contracted aids and your immune system cannot fight the tuberculosis anymore do you think this is kind of what sao has kind of done to yeah because like a big discussion for strangers from hell is if Zhang Yu never had broken his laptop and ended up at Eden Residence, would he have gone through all of this and become a killer in the end? And most people would say no, because he would not have lost a bunch of money and would have been actually able to afford a better place. Right. So I perhaps that is the case. Do you think... Uh, we also see... Uh, we're talking a little bit more philosophically uh, within this villains thing... We see uh, Zhang Yu carrying uh, a book called uh, The Metamorphosis, which is written by uh, Franz Kafka. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Existentialism. Throwback to high school. Right? Um, so he already feels alienated. We know this. Because of the book. Yeah. I feel like that could have been kind of an Easter egg or also a foreshadowing device to show how he feels isolated living in Eden Residence. But also in terms of the people he's supposed to feel close with. Like, he has moved to a new city to work at an internship and be close to his girlfriend. But throughout the entire show, he gets none of that. His internship sucks, his boss always shits on him, and he never gets to see his girlfriend. Or when he does, it's interrupted by Seo or his boss or something horrible happening. So his isolation is predominant, and especially when you actually know about his background of having to help out his mom who is not very well off and also his disabled brother he's always felt this isolation but it gets exacerbated by people that manipulate him and also his circumstance so here's the thing is with this existentialism i feel like both jong u and uh seo or munjo seo uh share it they I, stare the uh, they share the existentialism but uh jong u he puts the burden on himself Whereas uh, Seo puts the burden on others. Yeah. Uh, Seo sharing 
or at least being the puppet master for the crime family, say, is kind of spreading that existential nihilism towards them, where they feel like they are uh, exempt from the law and they can get around it. But they are not as, the crime family is not as uh, cohesive as they are. Like, they're, they're a lot less planned. Well, I, I, I think this kind of existential and nihilism uh, actually aids uh, uh, so in how he plans things because for uh, the rest of the people, they feel like they have stakes in everything, whereas so feels like he's a god and his plans become perfect as he perfects them. That's true. Because he feels like he can create the meaning inside of the world because if nothing means anything he's trying to become its god yeah he even has a few lines like oh this chaos doesn't make you feel like a god and even when he's like fully infiltrating jangu's mind you see that jangu is dreaming about him and the visuals in terms of the show portray sale as almost a deity or like an angel in his sleep so i think that kind of ties in with the philosophy too but which i think makes him so scary too is that he has gone through so much belief with that and is so crazy and twisted on the inside and appears so normal on the outside that he views himself as a god but then just acts like oh yes i'm a very polite dentist i guess when people say man made god in his own image or the opposite god made man in his own image maybe that's also going into a side tangent that if Seo sees himself as God, maybe he wants to see himself in man's own image at the same time. With Seo, uh, if we go off of uh, Christian theology, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was mostly talking about. I, I feel like Seo would be... Uh, probably Lucifer, and then it, uh, like Jean-Yu would be uh, Satan as lucifer tries to shape satan that's that's a deep cut but (laughs) (laughs) that is a deep cut uh i don't know that shangu would be satan i feel like that if you're actually talking in terms of christian theology he would be somebody that is tempted by satan and becomes a satanist i guess but this is like very esoteric and i don't necessarily ascribe to that so Let's, you know, kind of get outside of our villain a little bit. And yeah. I was thinking, what do you wish about the title of the show? Because that also references a philosophical kind of point besides existentialism. That's true. That's true. Hell is other people. I mean, when we watched it, we heard it as Strangers from Hell. But the original webtoon and the actual proper translation, Hell is other people, comes from a uh, philosophical quotation from Jean-Paul Sartre in his play No Exit which is about three people essentially stuck in a waiting room together which is hell and and they all don't want to exit because they don't want other people to do it for certain reasons they also end up falling into kind of a weird love triangle they do which brings into uh I guess something we can talk about a little bit later the voyeurism Uh, One of the things from Hell is Other People, upon initial watching of this show, you go, oh, from Zhongyu's perspective, you see Hell is Other People. My roommates are Hell. My flat, or the people living in Eden Residence make this Hell for me. But actually, uh, 
Sartre has said that quote is very often misinterpreted. Um, hell is other people does not mean that other people in themselves are hell. Usually it's because we are unable to escape the watchful gaze of everyone around us. By their mere appearance of the other, says Sartre in Being and Nothingness, I am put in the position of passing judgment on myself as on an object, for it is as an object that I appear to the other. So really, hell as other people refers to the act of being perceived, which is so prevalent in Zhang Wu being constantly watched by his roommates and say, oh. But that's also kind of of hell, because obviously you're perceiving other people and they're going through the same stuff. Yeah, so one could argue that Seo seeing into porno pervert's room is also a form of hell for porno pervert. Or it could be seen vice versa, that porno pervert... I don't feel like Seo ever looks into a porno pervert's room. Sorry, not Seo, Zhongu. Yeah, into Zhongu's room, yeah. Because porno pervert is pretty easy to control. We all know what he wants. Pause, sorry. I meant Zhongu seeing into porno pervert's room could be a form of hell for porno pervert but he is also relishing in that in his exhibitionism oh that's very fair that is very fair but i i i feel like uh zhang Wu from the title doesn't want to leave the apartment and even when he tries to leave he can't which is very allusion to the play that's true yeah he actually he is always wanting to physically leave but he knows mentally physically and um monetarily he cannot leave eden residence right and and it feels maybe when he is like eventually able to leave he still has not left like he's still stuck in the hell that's actually one of the resolutions of the show when we find out that zhang yu has killed everyone including sayo they are all still living within him after all of the trauma, which is why he is so fucked up at the end. They have imprinted upon him, and he can never escape Eden residence. Even if it's burnt down, even if the cops have quarantined it, even if all of the members are dead, they are still going to be part of his brain. All right, so let's get a little bit more fun. It's been a little bit too philosophical, it feels like. Let's let, let's get some fun going on. If our villain that we're covering today was a D character how would you do their alignment of the chart upon initial viewing of the show i thought that seo was lawful evil because he had those preset like it was never explicitly said what his laws were but every time he interacted with apprentice or the twins or even sometimes miss um he would be like this is breaching the laws that we have set or like this is breaking the rules so i thought he was lawful evil that, that that's fair i originally thought he was more of like a a neutral evil but then i thought he became a lawful evil after hearing some things that you were talking about but i think at the end of the day i feel it's more chaotic because of that existentialism is that because he doesn't always follow his laws he doesn't always follow his laws um he doesn't always seem to be out for the gain of himself he just seems to kind of have like almost like in his existentialism have a kind of like this nihilism i mean yeah that's evident but i feel like even though he doesn't follow his laws he's still but what kind of what would he gain after training like zhangu sharing his memes 
sharing himself. So just like reproduction? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe one could view but reproduction what, what, what as a chaotic is, act. Okay, okay. Here's what I really mean to say is, what is his memes? Um, Killing I think for s- no reason? Or? No, I think, I think Sayo's memes would be killing like we talked about earlier he his memes are that of an engineer or an artist he's trying to break something apart and make it anew in his own image so i guess his memes are god but at the same time he goes you are a god that's kind of a bit chaotic if i was a god i'd be a chaotic god maybe i'm just like you're bacchus or pan yeah yeah maybe i'm just like reflecting too much into myself but if i was a god i'd be super chaotic I mean, if you think about it in terms of Greek mythology, they are. <laughs> yeah. Greek yeah. gods are chaotic. And if you think about it, even in terms of Christianity, which we know the most about, God gives kids cancer? Cool. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's pretty chaotic. <laughs> that That is a bit chaotic. It's, it, it's a bit fucked up, right? Like, Yeah, so from a human standpoint, Seo thinking himself a god, he will be evidently chaotic. Right, because he'll just do whatever he wants to feel like doing, which is pretty chaotic for the rest of the world, in my opinion. Or wants to destroy stuff for destroying stuff. It doesn't feel like Seo is trying to become a part of the political ladder or no. trying to push other people down using like laws and whatnot. It feels like he is more chaotic evil. Because it feels like if he was neutral evil, he just tried to get himself... Uh, up the ladder but because of Zhanggu I don't feel like that's the case yeah and I guess that's where it ties in with what we were talking about earlier his cult leader aspect is that because he is so warm and like friendly up front but then eventually becomes horrifying and not necessarily standoffish but like when his true intentions are revealed through all of his manipulation that is also portraying somebody who is trying to act as God and what do you think about his killing method? Because we actually haven't talked about this yet. Because we, we, we said that he's killed people. That's true. Um, we have seen at least the first kill, I think, in the show is he injects Apprentice with a syringe of probably sedatives. And then... Which he probably learned from Miss Oom. Miss Oom or... Yeah he he did learn from Miss Oom because we see her kill people from her past mm-hmm. through drugging them uh he has more accessibility through his work as a dentist because you have to sedate people to work on their and teeth get the anesthesia yeah. yeah um so his kills are a lot more clean typically than when we see apprentice kill he uses a garrote which is fine but when it fucks up he stabs the detective and say all part of his rule is that cleanness we need it to be easy to dispose and harder to leave a trace. It needs to be beautiful. And it's... I mean, we also see him torture, and then during his torture, he's always beautiful during his torture. I would he's say always that, clean, surgical. Yeah, I would say that when Sayo says he breaks people apart and puts them back together, his motive is more in a psychological sense. When he's actually working with somebody that he wants to shape... In terms of murder, yes, he's still putting on gloves and being clean about it, but working with Apprentice and uh, Zhongyu, he is mentally shaping them and breaking them apart rather than physically. But when a body happens, yeah. Seo has nothing to do with it. It seems like he's more of like a process killer. 
He is. And when he does, he also prepares in advance. Like, he did not expect to see the apprentice killing the detective, but he had gloves on him to kill the apprentice and finish the job. But that must have been from the dentist, you know. But we've seen, like, with every kill that he does, he has gloves on him. Right. And maybe it's just almost, maybe it's an excuse to wear gloves. Could be. If you're a profession as a dentist, you know. You're always going to have gloves on you. Well, not when you leave the office, but you're going to have them. Just like I have gloves in my bathroom. Oh, wait, no. Oh, uh, sorry. I thought I threw those away. Was I not supposed to? No, they're, they're there. It's just for hair dyeing, not for murder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, audience. We would never murder never. some. Never. Never. Absolutely not cut someone into the bathtub. That I mean, would. to be fair, it's really hard to boil a body in terms of acid or bleach. It takes a lot longer. Okay, now we're being a little bit too specific about our murders. Anyway, how about we talk about uh, the coquettishness of uh, Seo and how he goes about breaking and uh, reapplying people's psyches? Seo is the classic Gaslight Gatekeep girl boss guy. Definitely. He does those typical tactics like love bombing. When he first meets Jong-woo, he really engages with him. Every time he encounters him after he goes, oh, you want some beer? Oh, let's eat dinner together. Oh, I'm really interested in you. Oh, I'm going to save you from your shitty boss. He is always kind of pushing himself on Jong-woo's life, but making it seem like he's the good guy. I'm here to help you. Oh, yeah. He, he designs everything around Jong-woo's to be absolutely terrible. And then he just comes in there like a savior. I don't think he always designs it to be terrible. I think he's taking advantage of a lot of Jong-woo's terrible situations. But he also makes terrible situations as well. So, this is going to be another deep cut. It'd be like Johan pouring gasoline on a fire that has already existed. Johan the monster? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You take advantage of what you have. So, Seyo sees Jong-woo has a shitty internship and a shitty living situation. He goes... Let me pick out this wound and make it worse. Let me make oh, it fester. Man, that, that just gave me like a little bit of the chills, a little bit of the... It's what he does. Yeah, it's what he does. and It's what makes him a villain. Yeah, and I think a pretty heinous villain, too. When you got a, a cut or a scab, most people go, no, I gotta let that heal. But if somebody came up to you and went, ah, nice scar you got, just had surgery, rip apart your stitches... Let me just sew it back together and then just as right as it's about to be healed, rip him back out again. That's what Sayo does. Mentally. Yeah. Which is what makes him so horrifying. So, do you, do you think he like kind of like, how do you think Jong-woo dealt with this meme? Like through, do you think he just finally like cracked and accepted it? Are you talking after, like in the resolution or before? Uh, after the resolution. I think after Zhang Yu finally kills Seo and realizes, well, actually, I don't think he realizes he has killed a crime family. I think that because he's been so manipulated by Seo and thinks he's so in the right after so much stuff has gone on, I feel like Zhang Yu feels like it's just part of his crime novel. Do you, do you I, think any part of Zhang Wu is left? I feel like there's some kind of um, creative disillusionment 
like we've seen from the beginning, Zhang Yu is a little bit of an unreliable narrator in terms of the way that the film is cut and some of the circumstances that happens. I feel like a lot of the time Zhang Yu sees something in an optimistic standpoint that's not actually happening. So at the very end, I feel like when he, the last thing we really see of Zhang Yu is him typing die, 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 die on his computer. I think that in his brain somewhere, he thinks he is writing his crime novel still, but he is so broken that he cannot actually recognize that physically. I think maybe that could be where Seo has also failed. He has shared his memes so much that he has actually broken the new apprentice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell. It's, at the ending right there, I, I like to think that he becomes so too. Yeah, like uh, eventually recovers and not just always typing die on a computer. Like when... The, I think this is the bracelet that really gives it away for me. Like, yeah. And I, I guess this is why we're talking about villains kind of like this. So it when we were... The main thing uh, person we we're covering today was so... But... Also, we're kind of talking about Zhanggu a little bit, right? Yeah, because he is the next iteration of Seo, so to speak. He is also the protagonist, the unreliable narrator of the show. Right. But perhaps he's unreliable because he has been so warped by Seo. Right, and and that's what I think. I think in terms of what makes Seo from Strangers from Hell one of the most horrifying villains is the fact that not only does he manipulate the protagonist, Zhang Yu, into becoming a horrifying killer by fucking his perception and destroying his life, essentially, but he also manipulates the viewers of the show into the same thing. As we follow Zhang Yu as the protagonist, we kind of want to see justice from him. We want to see him rebel against his superiors. We want to see him get out of his shitty resonance. We want him to see him go against Sayo. We kind of want to see him become a god. We root for him. Yeah, we almost root for him to be evil because we almost feel as angry as he does. And then Sayo just encourages that in us and just wants us to feel that anger of how sometimes you just not treat as fairly so just treat everything as unfairly as they do you through seo's manipulation of shangu therefore the manipulation of the viewers of the show Sayo has passed his memes on to us, and that's what makes him the true villain of today's podcast. So this is our interpretation of why Sayo was the most villainous in Hell is Other People. And what made you the most villainous this week? Oh, uh, that's hard to tell. I'm usually so villainous. Very villainous. <laughs> uh, I think the most heinous thing I did this week was... Our cat climbed on the standing desk while you were playing Apex Legends and she would not move despite how much we were kissing her and trying to prod her and bribe her. So I took a tiny pair of costume pet bat wings that we had and put them on her. However, it did make her move, which was pretty mean of me, but they did not fit because she was too chubby to fly. Too chubby to fly. So, oh, but she was, she, she was so cute, but also so angry and she hates wearing costumes so i think that was the most evil thing i did this week 
Uh, I feel like it can top that in Villainous this week, actually. I mean, you have the looks, so... Oh, oh wow, wow. <laughs> We've resorted to uh, Ad Hominem. <laughs> Ad Hominem. This is supposed to be about the villain's arc, about really understanding having empathy. I got kicked out of a U.S. embassy. Well, I got let back in. But I was considered a terroristic threat for at least 10 minutes. Because he looked like one. I, I really... Wow, wow. All right, all right. So here's the story of what I did. All right, buckle up. We're ready to drive. Right now, the current year is 2022, and the United States is just restarting being a government, it feels like. So, and, and that's from pandemic. Don't don't get political on this. I feel like it's still, like, learning its baby legs, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very young country still. But, uh, so, they had a rough time, uh, I had to fill out one form, another form, that form didn't work out, and they decided uh, to close the embassy at like three, and they're like, come back tomorrow. And I was like, okay, it's really early to close. Embassies have ridiculous hours, regardless of if you're in the US, Canada, or otherwise, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So I come back the next day, and it's already sketchy because I don't like have a note or an appointment, and they only let you in if you have an appointment, but I had kind of like the go ahead from a lady upstairs. Anyway, I just want to be there and be like, try to figure things out. So I get there as early as possible and I'm tired. Uh, so I forget one small detail <laughs> is that I usually carry a pocket knife on me. For box opening purposes, obviously. Obviously. I would never use it. Don't let those police sirens. Um, um, so anyway, I usually carry a pocket knife on me for box cutting purposes. And... Uh, I was standing in line. They make you go through metal detectors. I was like, oh, no. I was like, hey, uh, I think I left my knife on me. Can someone hold on to it for me? And then, like, a security card just, like, beeline towards me, like, grabbed me. He's like, well, why would you even bring that in there? One yeah, you should have just gone, oh, shit, and left the line. I, 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 sh- I should have, but I didn't think I would be let back in because it's a set of double, like, security locked doors. And so I was just like, oh, no, what do I do in this situation? Because I need to go to the embassy to get my personal business finished up and um so they're like they're like ah, go remove that why would you even do that kind of thing they're like throw me out on the street like a little urgent in the movie uh and i'll go fine fine i'll be right back so i go to the nearest trash can and i throw my knife away and this isn't a big city that i'm currently in so it's pretty easy to find a trash can and I walk back, and the security guard goes, that knife is not far enough away from this building, sir. I go, really? Really? And he goes, yes, if you would like to enter back into the embassy, you need to move, uh, move the knife further away. So I go crawling through a big city garbage can to retrieve this knife. I look at the security officer I walk one block away and throw it into the trash can one block away and walk back in and like, thank you. You may go back into security line. security officer was the villain this week. I don't know. I felt like the villain because I'm all like, I do not mean to be a terroristic threat. I I, I feel like my knife was blurred. (laughs) Like they they, they saw it and they like thought like, you know, it was kind of like strangers from hell. You have malice in your intent. Well, if you would like to try to overthrow an embassy, um, 
and would like to be a part of the World Domination Committee, follow us on whatever interface you listen to podcast on. I, I don't really care, but give us an awesome review on whatever it is. Or I, a terrible review if you'd like to be even more evil. You know what's the most evil thing I've done? Not leave a review for a podcast. I'm going to go do that after this. Yep. Uh, if you'd like to be even more heinous, you can also send us an email at committee at worlddomination.ca. Follow us on the Twitter. Check out trin.tech for everything Trin is doing. Hey, and if you like gay comics, read What We Do in the Closet on Tapas. And anywhere else you read comics. All right, well, that's it, fuckers. This podcast was brought to you by... Productions.